Like trying to prove a negative, it's difficult to talk about darkness because darkness is not really a thing itself, a substance, an action. By definition, darkness is just the absence of light. Darkness officially begins, as Miller said, at night when the sun goes down, when the sun reaches 18 degrees below the horizon. That's when it's officially dark. And with that first insight this week, I waded into a study of darkness, which inevitably had a lot to do with light. Light is electromagnetic radiation, frequencies and waves and their related coefficient of energy. The light that we see is less than a thousandth of one percent of the full electromagnetic spectrum. Below the visible light spectrum are infrared and microwave and radio waves, and above are the ultraviolet rays that cause sunburn, x-rays, and gamma rays, the stuff of neutron stars and atomic bombs. But all of that is light. Visible and invisible electromagnetic radiation bathes the entire world. In his book, Spectrums, David Blattner says, even in the darkest room, we cannot escape light if only because our bodies radiate light through the very act of living, which may just be a strange scientific way of saying what Jesus knew long ago, you are the light of the world. Now, in terms of visible light, we think of colors, and the color of darkness we think of as black, and while we do see in color, there's actually no color in the universe. There are only those electromagnetic frequencies. The millions of receptor cells in our eyes, the cones that are tuned to red or green or blue, and the rods which have been evolved to, for nighttime vision, they connect to the optic nerve which transmits only frequencies to our brains. Somehow, knowing that actual seeing might be preferable to just getting a report of wavelengths given in nanometers, our brain interprets those numbers, those frequencies, and presto, we see a rainbow of beauty in our vision, delivered at the speed of light. Speaking of the speed of light, Though the fastest measurement in the universe, there is a theory that shadows the speed of darkness might even be faster. You'll have to look that one up. Then I stumbled onto the philosophical discussion of the causal theory of perception, which might mean we don't really see the things we think we see. And from there I fell into the black hole reading about, you guessed it, black holes which may be the oddest of all paradoxes. Black holes are stars that grow so dense they implode on themselves, creating such immense gravity that even their own light cannot escape. Think of it. So much energy, so much light, they grow dark. I've known some people like that. So narcissistic so inwardly focused that the only thing left for the world was their darkness. Jesus said, let your light shine. 
To top it off, I finished my study by reading about dark matter and dark energy, about which scientists can theorize by measuring their effects on stars and galaxies. But even after three decades of research, they have absolutely no idea what this is. Even though this darkness in the night sky may account for the vast majority of all the mass and all the energy in the entire universe, we know so little. Now, since I mentioned the effects of all that dark stuff on the universe, I should remind you that photosynthesis, that process by which plants synthesize food using the sun's energy, photosynthesis is covered in the science of photobiology. That's the biology of light. But scotobiology is a whole discipline of science devoted to the positive responses of biological systems to the presence of darkness, the good effects of darkness. Ellen DeGeneres once quipped, in the beginning there was nothing, and God said, let there be light. And there was still nothing, but you could just see it a whole lot better. <clears throat> you see, light is essential. We associate that Big Bang with the beginning of all life, but Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, says they are intimately connected, light and darkness. Mystery and reality emerge from the same source, darkness. Darkness born from darkness, the beginning of all understanding. That's true in the physical world, and it is true as we struggle through a world of shine and shadow. As Joan Chittister acknowledges, there is a light in us that only the darkness can illuminate. There is no darkness without light, and there is no light without darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He also said, you are the light of the world. Thank God for the darkness, or we would not be able to see any of it. If you can't tell, we are finding this Lenten series fun. And after meeting with our youth this morning, they cover water next week, and it's going to be fun. They've already been creative in ways I had not thought of. And I'm looking forward to it. From John's Gospel. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night in the dark and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not be astonished that I said this to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? You have heard the ancient story. Last week, our text took us to Jesus in the wilderness, just after his baptism and just prior to the launch of his public ministry. It was there, in the wilderness, where he was faced with temptations by the great tempter. And I told you that we weren't going to deal with the temptation portion of the text, just the wilderness. And I believe I said that the temptation part was just the low-hanging fruit. The whole devil made me do it part of tempting is, to get, is easy to get distracted by. Well, the text for today has some low-hanging fruit, and I'm not going to touch it either. I stopped reading before the low-hanging fruit so we would not be distracted. What we read this morning is what leads up to likely the most well-known and most quoted verse of Scripture in all the Bible. Even the most biblically illiterate will have heard of John 3.16, even if they can't quote it themselves, though most of them probably can. For God so loved the world... And that's really the most important part of the verse. So I'm just going to stop right there and leave it and get back to Nicodemus. John is the only gospel writer to introduce us to Nicodemus. And he's, he only gets three appearances in the gospel of John. This encounter that we have for today, a little bit later, he appears to come to the defense of Jesus in the midst of an intense conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities. And then finally, the third encounter we have with Nicodemus is at the end when he assists Joseph of Arimathea with the burial of the body of Jesus. But for today, our introduction to Nicodemus is that he comes to Jesus under the cover of night in the dark to try and get a better handle on who Jesus really is and the conversation takes a quick turn that Nicodemus did not see coming. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a leader of the Jews. And he acknowledges something special about Jesus. We can see there's something special about you that is of God because nobody can do what you do that doesn't have the presence of God up close and personal in their lives. And before he can continue with what I would assume might be an interrogation of sorts, Jesus launches into a whole thing about being born again or born anew or born from above. And Nicodemus gets all literal on him trying to figure out how can it be possible to re-enter your mother's womb to be born again. Oh, Nicodemus. Think metaphor. Think deeper. See the layers. Jesus goes on for a bit about it until Nicodemus finally asks, 
How can these things be? Yes, Nicodemus, thank you for finally asking the right ultimate question of faith, the one question with which we all must do our share of wrestling. How can these things be? And this whole encounter happens in the dark. Could it not have waited until morning? Or did Nicodemus not want anyone to see him with Jesus? Perhaps, though, that is the best time to meet Jesus. In the dark, that is. In the darkest places of our lives, that is the best place to meet Jesus. Think metaphor. Think deeper. See the layers. I don't love the dark. Miller said she didn't either. I'm with her. I've improved my relationship with it, but as a child, I did not like the dark at all. I have two distinct memories, and these are both from my adulthood, about dark nights of fear. The Persid meteor shower greets stargazers every year from mid-July to late August. FYI, this year the shower will peak on August 11th and 12th, and the moon should be dim enough this year that we should really get a good view or so says Google. I've put it on my calendar. Thirty-some years ago, we were with my large extended family for a week at the beach during the Persid meteor shower, and we decided to take an excursion late one night to see it. The more darkness you can find, the more amazing the show in the sky. Think metaphor. Think deeper, see the layers. The more darkness you can find, the more amazing the show in the sky. So we got away from all of the commercial civilization along the shore and headed inland to find some desolate country road away from the coast. We cut off the lights of the car, we got out, and we stood in the road just looking up, waiting for our eyes to adjust to the darkness. You know how it takes time to adjust your eyes, your life, to the dark places. It didn't take long for us to be mesmerized by the spectacular light show in the sky. Our oohs and ahs and squeals of delight would have indicated we were at a 4th of July fireworks extravaganza instead of God showing off in the night sky. It was a fun night that is punctuated in my memory by a crying nephew. He must have been about eight years old, and he was terrified. There was no convincing him to enjoy the beauty of the shooting lights in the night sky. The darkness had completely overwhelmed him. And when I think back on that night so many years ago, when I, what I remember most about that night of a spectacular meteor shower is how afraid Kevin was of the dark. I think one of the worst feelings is fear. And the dark just about did him in that night. 
Fast forward about 15 years when we took our then young sons out west and Kevin's parents were with us on this adventure too. It was a hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and out, and then we went on to Bryce and Zion National Parks. Someone had told us about this great idea of a thing to do in Zion. There are no cars in most of the park there in Zion National Park, but if you take the last bus running to the farthest spot in the park where the bus goes, and if you get off at the next to last stop, it would take about 15 or 20 minutes for the bus to go to the last stop, turn around, and come back. So the great idea was that we were to lie down in the road after the bus had left, let our eyes get adjusted to the dark. You know how you have to get adjusted to the dark. And just look at the night sky lying in the middle of the road. In that vast, in that amount of vast darkness, the sky lights up. Think metaphor, think deeper, see the layers. It was amazing, except I was terrified. There we were, darkness-seeking stargazers, prime meat for bears and coyotes, snakes and bats, and no telling what kind of wild beasts of the West were lurking all around. We were sitting ducks, perfect prey, and there was my family all enjoying themselves to the fullest, lying on the darkest road I've ever been on while I kept watch and tried to make enough noise to scare any of the vermin away. I kind of ruined the moment, I'm not going to lie. There was no convincing me to enjoy the beauty of the spectacularly dotted sky. The darkness had completely overwhelmed me. And when I think back on that night so many years ago, what I remember most was how afraid I was of the dark, of the things lurking out there that I could not see. I think one of the worst feelings is fear. And the darkness just about did me in that night. Please tell me you're thinking metaphors and deeper and layers. Darkness will do that to us, you know. There are times in our lives when there is no convincing us of the beauty of the world and of our very lives. Darkness can completely overwhelm us, and it is in those most fearful places that we would, of darkness, that we would swear the darkness might just do us in. I've thought a lot about darkness this week. It seems like a first cousin to wilderness. But in thinking about darkness, as Russ so skillfully pointed out, you can't think about darkness without considering light. Perhaps for today, it's enough to consider in all of our dark places, be they grief or poverty or shame, mental illness or anxiety or dementia, 
dysfunctional family systems or disease or trauma. Let us consider what it would look like to let an ounce of light shine in. For meteors still zing across the night skies and stars still pepper the darkness. Light might look like asking for help or accepting help when it's offered. Light might look like therapy. Light might look like a nap or a walk in the sun or a good book for escape. Light might look like a good cry or a good laugh or a lot of both. Light might look like a deep cleansing breath and sitting in a sanctuary that's made for worship. Light, thank you. I don't ever get those here. Thank you. <laughs> Light might look like lighting a candle and saying a prayer for yourself or for someone else's darkness. Light might look like knitting or pickleball, or soaking in a tub. Light might look like an evening sitting at a fire pit. Light might look like an honest conversation over lunch where you share your deepest worries and your greatest fears alongside sharing your hopes and your dreams. God is always and constantly trying to shine light into our lives, but sometimes we're too afraid or overwhelmed to be able to see it. So maybe you've come here today to just be reminded that the very first act of creation was light and God called it good. And then in our faith, we hold to an understanding that Jesus is the light of the world. And then he told us that so are we. We are God's light shining into all of our dark places. If only we could truly believe that God trusted us to be the light ourselves. That is exactly how much God loves us. That is exactly how much God thinks of us. That is exactly how much God believes in us to say that we are the light. For God so loved the world. I'm not sure why Nicodemus came to Jesus under the cover of darkness except to say, don't we all? We all come wondering, how can these things be? We all come hoping for enough light to see our way to the next moment, hoping that the light will move with us. To tell you now for a second time today what is already printed at the end of your bulletin from Joan Chittister, there is a light in us that only the darkness can illuminate. So don't be afraid of your darkness. But in the darkest moments, do look for the light. It is all around, and God is trying God's very best to show it to you. Lent is a season of accepting and pondering the darkness, trying not to be afraid, mustering the courage to take the next steps, while squinting to let our eyes adjust to the darkness just enough for the light to shine. 
you do not have to wait on August the 11th or the 12th for Persid's meteor shower to show out. God is known for showing off by shining light into all of our darknesses. If only we have eyes to see, if only we can step away from our fear, if only we can allow our see, ourselves to see the light that shines within us. So blessed are you in all of your dark places that are causing you to live in fear. May the light of God blaze across your life like a meteor shower. May the light of God shine on you as plentiful as the stars of a night sky. And may you not be afraid. May it be so. Amen.